electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to a special West Coast edition of Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I hope you want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, put it in context. Call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We don't talk too much about stagflation. Basically, because it's a curse word in this business. Stagflation means we have an economic slowdown while inflation is still raging. Oh, man, the Jimmy Carter cocktail. A combination so toxic for the stock market that people will pretty much sell, 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 sell. everything. And that's what we saw today is the Dow shed 269 points. S&P lost 1.08%, and the Nasdaq dropped 0.73%. Now, personally, personally, I don't believe that we're in for about a stagflation. I see an economy that just got too hot and is now cooling off, which is just what the doctor ordered, the doctor being Fed Chief Jay Powell. But today was an out-of-thesis day for me, meaning what I wanted to happen and what actually happened were very much at odds. The bears had the firm upper hand... <laughs> And they crushed the market. We know that we're in a bad news is good news situation where we want the economy to slow down. We're on clock watch. Yesterday, Target told us they had too much inventory and would have to get promotional to unload it. Textbook deflation. We're not sure where they'll sell it, but we know it'll be sold at a lower price than they wanted. That's fantastic for you. And it's one of those things that can reverberate throughout the whole system, given the scale of Target. Sure enough, this morning, we got a number of negative research reports arguing that all retail will suffer because of what we heard from Target. Although Target stock itself rallied, which tells me that even the most tarnished stocks can bottom in this environment while the consumer benefits from the promotional activity. Today, we got mortgage applications. What a number. It was spectacular for anyone who's hoping to see a decline in the massively overheated real estate market. Mortgage demand fell to its lowest level in 22 years a casualty of the gigantic jump in mortgage rates of late. While a 5.4% rate is very low by historical standards, it's extremely high 
versus where it was not that long ago, when prospective home buyers were locking in two-month mortgages at a 3% and change rate. We know the real estate market is red hot with sky-high rents and a shortage of homes. But with demand falling off a cliff, there could be a housing glut developing. And that, too, is what we want to see. It's certainly what the Fed wants to see to engineer a soft landing for the economy. Then there's this thing called the Mannheim Used Car Index, which measures the price of used cars. Thanks to the shortage of new cars in a work-from-home environment where people have migrated away from the cities with public transportation, these used cars, well, they've just shot up in price. But these new numbers from this Mannheim Index show that those price increases have decelerated. Used cars were up about 50% year-over-year not too long ago. Now they're only up about 10%. Whatever tightness there may have been is evaporating. So let's see, what do we got? We got household goods going down in price. Yes. Terrific for the consumer. We have mortgage rates crimping runaway housing prices. Yes. And now we might ha- uh, be tackling the last of the intractables, used cars, which, be- by the way, are a major component of the CPI, which is Friday. Three for three. All very good news for the inflation peaking thesis. There's only one problem, and that problem is energy. Specifically, gasoline. It refuses to go down. Price accrued up another 2.5% today, 122 bucks. Oil seems to have no ceiling, and that's where the stagflation fears come in. As long as oil prices keep climbing, it's hard to make the case for a soft landing. Oil's a nightmare for the Fed. It reverberates throughout the whole economy, and there seems to be no stopping it. And because oil acts as a tax on the whole system, we could indeed have a slowdown coupled with inflation, and that is that Jimmy Carter stagflation remix. If oil would just go down, I think the Fed would be able to declare victory after doing maybe a couple more gentle rate hikes. But now the runaway price of crude has gone so high that the unthinkable has happened. Even the oil stocks went down. And that brings us to another term of art that we really don't want, demand destruction. And that's where the price of something goes up so high, so fast, that it sows the seeds of its own destruction. The oil stocks jumped up at first. They opened higher today. Then many dropped because, well, people are starting to realize demand's going to be curtailed. They won't be able to make that much money at those prices. But that doesn't necessarily mean the price of crude will stop climbing because it's a lack of supply problem. Oh, it's not just the oils. We saw a collapse in the freight companies today that we never want to see. The stocks of United Parcel and FedEx just getting crushed. Now, they can pass that cut to their customers via fuel surcharge, but that won't stop the demand destruction in this important industry. Plus, nobody thinks oil can go in any direction except up. The psychology is so bad, which is exactly what the psychology was like in the 70s when we first got acquainted with stagflation. Now, this time we're not hostage to OPEC. We're hostage to a domestic oil industry that's afraid to drill because the current White House doesn't really have an oil-friendly track record. Putting it bluntly, the Democrats are the pro-environment party. The Republicans are the pro-oil party. These guys know where the bread is buttered, and it's not buttered by Joe Biden. As a matter of fact, we have to believe that maybe the president would rather go to Saudi Arabia and negotiate with them and then talk to the American CEOs who dominate the Texan Permian Basin, our biggest basin, where all the oil is. While it can take a year to site and drill new wells, and we're aware of that, if the president would encourage them and offer maybe some assistance in building much-needed pipelines, I'm confident these companies would do it. By the way, it would also help uh, national security because we get natural gas maybe to Europe. But to get these executives to trust him, Biden would have to cozy up, or at least seem like he is, to the oil industry and stop talking just about renewable energy, something that would infuriate his base. Like most politicians, Biden doesn't want to do that. He's actually made it more difficult to build new pipelines. The stuff that's coming out in the last few weeks is really bad for the pipeline industry. 
I do believe Biden could placate the oil industry, which has grown more and more responsible, by the way, about the environment, even as they are fossil fuel companies. But Biden would have to throw many of his core supporters to the wolves to make that happen. I think it's a good deal for the president if he can get us lower gas prices by 2024. And he can. This is America. We sacrifice anything for lower gasoline prices. Unfortunately, Biden doesn't seem willing to do it. And that's a big reason why energy won't come down. Of course, the other reason is the war in Ukraine, but that's well beyond our control. So why don't we just throw up our hands and admit that oil won't stop going higher, which means we're stuck with stagflation? Sell, 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 sell. The fact that the oil stocks acted poorly today tells me that demand for crude will slow as prices keep climbing. That's why I don't necessarily see stagflation happening. But sky high oil, oil might translate into a more serious slowdown. Every time crude goes up, so do the odds of a recession. Now, we can even talk ourselves into one looking at the price of crude. Something seems to be happening everywhere I go in San Francisco, young and old, over a Mescal, down the street. Again, I don't believe in the stagflation thesis. Ideally, we can wangle our way out of energy inflation with more supply, not from the Saudis or from electric cars or from windmills or from solar, but the U.S., U.S. producers. The bottom line, though, even if we don't get a lot more supply, the price of oil will eventually come down simply from demand destruction. But if it's done that way, we could be in for a miserable, long, hot summer. I say we take calls. Let's go to VJ in South Carolina. VJ. Good evening, Jim. Thanks for all your advices over the past several decades. I am holding Netflix, Netflix stock since number of years. What are your thoughts about streaming services stocks and specifically Netflix? So Thanks I think, for your I think time Netflix. and guidance. Booyah! Booyah, and thank you for those kind words for a long-time follower. I, look, I think Netflix is fine. I'm not crazy about it. I don't think it's bad. To me, the cheaper one is Disney because they got Disney Plus, which is another streaming service. Disney just has to get better at telling its own story. I would actually tell you that they're terrible at it. All right, let's go to Pete in Illinois. Pete. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Pete. Hey, I really need your help here with a uh, stock that you recommended for us for the investment club in early January. So it's fallen 20 to 30 percent from its high, despite having some positive Q1 earnings as well as several upgrades. So is this just a wrong stock for this kind of market? at a 30 P.E. and a de minimis dividend? Or is this the time to buy right now to propel it, to be ready to propel for when that goes up? And what kind of a catalyst would it take to make that happen? The stock is Danaher. Okay, stock is Danaher. We've been buying all the way down uh, for the Chapel Trust. Uh, which anyone who follows, including this gentleman, uh, follows in CBC Investing Club knows. We really like it here. We know that they're in talks to make an acquisition uh, that would be more life science. Uh, it's been kept down because they do have uh, PCR testing and people think that's going away. I, you buy Dan or when it's down. That's what you do. That's what you've done. That's what you must always do. I've learned that a long time ago. We've done it a couple times for the Chapel Trust. We're doing it again. I say buy. I am not deterred by the by the PE there because the growth rate is so spectacular. It's a great stock to buy to slow down, and that's why we're doing it. I want to go to Larry in Arizona. Larry. Jimmy Chill. Larry from Whiskey Row in Prescott, Arizona. There you go. San Francisco Gotta get there. has been good to you. Maybe you'll run into Nancy and she can tell you how good things are in her town. 
My call today is on Dave and Buster's. Tell us your thoughts. Okay, Dave and Buster's had a remarkably good quarter. Remember, people are going out. They want experiences. Fabulous place for birthday parties. That's what I used to do. And I think the stock can go higher still because it's got a very low multiple and people are going back to Dave and Buster's. All right, look, even if we don't get a lot more supply, the price of oil will eventually come down. But it's probably going to come down from demand destruction. It would be better if we came down because we have more supply. On Manity tonight, Snowflake has had a tough run along with the Florida Tech cohort. But could a blizzard be brewing for the cloud stock? I'm checking in with the CEO. They have to forecast a surprising revenue decline. Could Cisco's post-earnings drop be a sign of what to come? Or is it a classic buying opportunity? I'm talking to the company's top brass. And Oakton defends your enterprises from threats. But does it have what it takes to defend itself from the bears on Wall Street? I've got the exclusive with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Coming at you from San Francisco. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy-five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com/slash/MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With a breezy IPO and backing from Buffett, investors cried, let it snow. But caught in a blizzard of headwinds, can this cloud company show they're tougher than the average snowflake? 
couple weeks ago, a funny thing happened with Snowflake, the data analytics company that came public with a bang in 2020, one of the largest deals in recent history. These guys reported a clear top and bottom line beat, but the company also mentioned that there could be turbulence because of the economic environment. No kidding. If we'd gotten an update like that a month ago, Snowflake stock would have been obliterated. Even the more benign environment two weeks ago, shares initially tumbled 15% at their lows the next day. But then the cavalry came and Snowflake finished the day down just 4.5% as investors realized the business is really strong. It's worth sticking with the stock through whatever the economy throws at you. That's how powerful Snowflake's secular growth story is. Since then, the stock steadily worked its way higher to above where it was trading before the quarter. I think that makes sense. But does that quick reversal mean the stock's finally come down to the point where the risks are baked in? Or could we be looking at more downside as the slowing economy takes its toll on all stocks. Earlier today, we got a chance to sit down with Frank Slubin, the hard-charging chairman and CEO of Snowflake. Take a look. Frank, you have a revolutionary model. And I have to tell you, a lot of people don't understand it. They don't understand the idea of the data being important because of Snowflake, and you go to the data uh, instead of the data coming to you. Will you please explain to people what that means? Because it's a consistent theme throughout all of, uh, every bit of, of your statements. Yeah, data has uh, become incredibly siloed over the last, well, ever since the beginning of computing because we send data to the work. Um, and we were not capable of bringing the work uh, to the data. What, what that leads to is what we call siloing or bunkering of data. That's a huge <clears throat> problem, excuse me. Uh, in the world of data science. Because data science really relies on building models where we're blending all kinds of different right. data that describe relationships and then predict outcomes or results, right? So it's super important to allow the data to, uh, to come together and then the work to be able to execute against that data. Now, you need to be an outstanding workload uh, executor, which we are at mm-hmm. uh, Snowflake. Otherwise, people say, this doesn't work. I'm going to bring the data to something else that can do it. What people don't seem to understand is that you're not trying to get companies to be able to sell better. You're trying to get companies to do things they do much better. Drug companies take 12 years to develop a drug. Somehow, you've been able to cut that to nine. What happens that you can do that? Well, it has to do with compressing cycles and being able to do things concurrently in parallel versus uh, in sequence, okay? So it, it's, 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 by the way, the other thing is the whole notion of data sharing. I mean, drug development doesn't happen in isolation. There's universities involved, there's partners involved, there's all these different parties. How do you I know this? How do you know that well, that's the case? Because that's true. Because, because nine out of 10 of my conversations are with customers now are about their business, not ours. So they tell me. Now you've been around. That's not always been the case and it's not the way it is out here. No, not at all. It's really about you, the value proposition you bring, not trying to figure out what they need. Yeah, we, we call this mission alignment, meaning that you know, we, we are dialing into the mission of our enterprises and institutions. It's their business, their problems, their challenges, not ours. You know? Well, speaking about their problems, their challenges, I think the people who bid your stock up to 400, they have their problems, their challenges. Because what you've done is far exceed your plan. But you never said, you know what, my stock is worth 500, not 400. You have given, though, a very long-term guidance. And that long-term guidance would be extraordinary if you get there. Yeah. Uh, it is, and uh, we like people to sort of open the aperture, you know, look at the journey over a period of time. Um, you know, if you have a 90-day you know, horizon, there's probably not many stocks you can't own in that time frame. Right. Now, but you're talking about being a multi-billion dollar company by 2029. I want to see if this, you blend, when I say $10 billion, you, it isn't like you say, well, yes or no. You, that's you. Oh, yeah. 100%. That's Frank Slubin. Yep. 
I don't sometimes have people who don't know Frank Slootman. Frank Slootman sleeps on cots. He stays in the office. He gets the job done. He's unrelenting. But one of the things that I think people don't realize is that you are also a truth, a truth teller. The environment is rocky. You actually and your CFO admitted it on a call, which then called all these sell side guys. They're saying, oh, my God, Frank's worried. That's not what you were saying. Well, um, I don't think the environment is that rocky from our vantage point. Look, you turn on the, the news feed, it's incredibly you know, high anxiety, adrenaline lace, and all that sort of thing. Our world, when we're talking to customers, is far more subdued, sober, normal. They're doing multi-year large contracts. They, they're not falling off a cliff. You know? Well, also, you have a retention rate <clears throat> that I didn't think was physically possible, 174% retention rate. That would mean not only do they stay, but they just keep taking and taking and taking. That's the highest retention rate I've ever heard. What's the secret behind that? The consumption model. In other words, there's no lid on it. And customers can grow through consumption as much as they see fit. And they use it when they need it. But someone could say they could turn you off if they're in trouble. So why not just get them a long-term contract so that they're stuck with you? And they have long-term contracts. Right, they have uh, it, it is exactly the same as the SaaS model. The only difference is it's not ratable equal amounts every month. It's right. based on their consumption. But every dollar in the contract becomes revenue over the period but of the contract. But isn't that how, if you had to redo everything, isn't that how everyone should have done it? Yes. I mean, as you know, I, I used to run a SaaS company, and I always felt badly uh, customers would buy use rights, whether they use it or not. Uh, this is much fairer, much more equitable. It turns out, obviously, they discovered they need you. They know how to work it. You have a customer, and people just throw it away, but it's the data science company that is with Kroger. And I don't think people realize, I think they're the smartest guys in the world, because they just are about trying to predict what people want. But they come to you. They obviously need you to try to predict better, try to figure out what Kroger, which is the largest chain. Your numbers for what you've done with them have to be significant because that, that company was not doing the numbers before they were aligned with you. Yes, uh, supply chain management. I mean, obviously during the, the pandemic was an enormous upset right. to supply chain management. Now inflation is becoming a huge upset to supply chain management. I mean, we have uh, customers like uh, Kraft Heinz, for example. I mean, their whole thing is, you know, how do we get the right product to the right place at the right time? Uh, creating safe inventory levels. Now, it used to be that, you know, from day to day, and we're an inch to the left, an inch to the right, we can, through anecdotal observation, we can pretty much kind of sort of get it right. Now, you can be so incredibly wrong from well, one it, week to the next. You know. Are there major retailers that have screwed up because they're not customers, you think? Well, you know, whether they've screwed up, uh, it, the environment is such right now, they need to be able to parse their reality through data, not through anecdotal observation. Are you, uh, I didn't think you were going to come back <laughs> after what you created. You've been a, you're a guy who comes in and takes a company. You said when ServiceNow got, went from X to Y, you were done. You were man, you were, you were finished, but you're back? You've written a book? You're back? I mean, I thought you were on the beach somewhere. I guess Frank Slootman doesn't go to the beach, huh? Yeah, I had a taste of retirement. It's not as great as uh, what they say. <laughs> what did you do when you got up when you retired? Did you like say, I want to get back in action? How yeah. many days before you realized that you couldn't be done? You know, it's, it, I, quite honestly, um, I never talked to another company. Snowflake sort of hit me over the head, and I was like, I think I'm ready. I, I, and, I, I, and, and, three, and we're now four, almost four, three, four years in. So I want yeah. younger people to realize that uh, you were excited, but you didn't know why you're excited. You should be excited because this is a company 
we hear the term transformative all the time. That, that's not what it's about. This is a company that takes a really good company and allows the people to become great. And that's what no other company I know does. Frank Slootman, Chairman and CEO of Snowflake, you are one of a kind, sir. Thank you for being on my buddy. Coming up, when a bankable CEO is faced with a horror show, you go to the source. Kramer confides with the venerable brass of Cisco. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. a stock like Cisco that got annihilated three weeks ago and reported a not great quarter, unambiguously weak guidance. The networking equipment sold for Colossus, which we own for the Chapel Trust. So its stock tumbled nearly 14% the next day, even as it recovered a few points since the market stabilized. Wall Street never really addressed the cause of Cisco's ugly forecast. The COVID lockdowns in China, I think they were the most important thing. Something that shouldn't really have come as a surprise to anyone. It's a temporary problem. Plus, at these levels, the stock down trades at 13 times. Doesn't it seem crazy? 3.4% juicy dividend yield? If this is truly a short-term problem, then I think you may be getting a great buying opportunity. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Chuck Robbins. He's the chairman and CEO of Cisco. You get a better read on his company. And Chuck, it is great to have you right here on the Good show. To Good to see you. It's awesome. All right. So you made it very clear. Uh, yeah. Demand does not seem to be a question. It was the supply of product and getting it to people. Has there been any changes, anything positive? Is demand still steady? Well, I think that, uh, you know, first of all, thanks for having me here today. Sure. It's great to see you on the yes, West Coast. And we are alive and well, despite everything that uh, I've heard all week. But, uh, you know, it is, uh, look, the, the China thing was pretty straightforward. The issue, as you recall, was we were the first company that had experienced a full month of April. And then we saw a lot of our peers come out afterwards and, and had the same issues. And it is temporary. And we're seeing, you see a lot in the news now. We're starting to feel the fact that they've opened up some. And hopefully we're going to see that begin to flow through. So, I think that's a, uh, a temporary issue. And, uh, you know, there, there's a few other, we're still cautious, but there are a few other positive signs we're beginning to see in the supply chain side of things, which uh, hopefully will, will continue to improve. Wait, Not no, everything. Is that fa- factories that are opening or other places, other sourcing? Because you always had a very good supply chain group of people. Yeah, they were just rated number one in the world by Gartner for the third year in a row, which they... They, they accept very humbly because they've had such a challenge, and we all have, but uh, they've done a phenomenal job. 
And uh, I think there's a few things going on. I think, you know, there is some demand softening in certain parts of the market that is that's freeing up uh, in other areas of the market. Okay. Uh, PCs, as, as an right, example, right. That, yeah, that we all know. Enrico Lauris told us that. And, and so you're seeing, you're seeing some components that are becoming available because of that, some of the stuff that we all kind of go after together. Uh, but, uh, you know, I feel, as you and I have talked about, I'm, I, I remain fairly optimistic. Right. Uh, I'm not confused that things could get a little rocky in the short term, uh, but um, I'm, I feel good about where we are. I feel good about the markets we're participating in. I feel good about the importance of the technology to our customers, and so we're just going to keep executing. Good. I mean, one of the reasons why we bought more uh, lower was because we said, you came on and told you're getting real orders from the great hyperscalers. Those are the best customers in the world. I don't believe that their demand has slowed one bit. <laughs> no, they're, I would say their demand's probably stayed very steady, if not gone up significantly. And, and you have to remember, this is a market we did not participate in three years ago, right. four years ago. And uh, now it's a significant growth engine for us. It's grown, you know, we said it grew 100% tra- over the trailing four quarters, and it's billions of dollars. This, this is not a... This is not a $100 million business growing at 100%. It's big. Uh, and I think it proves that, you know, the innovation our teams have delivered. And uh, these, these customers care deeply about performance, but they also care deeply about power, power consumption, which is really important. And our teams have focused on that. So we, we feel good about where we are there. And the other thing that I think is important is, even though there's a little bit of a tough time, at the low end of our guidance for the current quarter, we're going to deliver record EPS for the company no, this year. Nobody cared, Chuck. It was really, you know, <laughs> I was talking to you the next day, and I said, hey, look, I, I see some good things here. Yeah. But people didn't listen. Well, that's, a, that's the quarter-to-quarter nature of how people think these days. And so, well, it gets you down. It got me down. I was talking uh, to you before. Digitization, I don't want to hear it anymore. You know I, anybody can get down. If I can get down, anybody can get down. Well, you know, we, we spent on this, on this march to get back into the web scale and the cloud players, that was a, that's been a six-and-a-half-year yeah. effort, right? It's, this stuff, I mean, 90 days, 90 days, 90 days, they come and go. Quarters come and go. But, uh, you know, we have to remain focused on the stuff because it takes a while to build the products that we deliver. In the meantime, you have a ton of cash. Uh, some of the stocks are finally coming down. The valuations that seem interesting. But they're still expensive relative to how, whether they're making money. The PEs are still expensive. Does it look like, are there things out there? that could be interesting for you that would really improve your business? Well, there have always been things out there that looked interesting to us. Somebody asked me if our M&A strategy has changed as a result of their valuations. I said, our strategy hasn't changed. Their openness might change. So we're, uh, you know, we always have 15, 20, 30 companies that we're floating and watching and looking at. Uh, Doesn't mean we think they're all great fits, but we want to understand more about. And uh, hopefully there'll be some opportunities that'll come about at, at more reasonable valuations. The thing that uh, I think we all have to remember is that a lot of these founders are young and right. they've never seen a downturn. And so they thought that what, what they were experiencing is just the way it is. And so, uh, you know, now we may have a little more realistic view. I think some of them are going to have to get their head around the right. fact that this may be more of a permanent change or a longer lasting change than, than perhaps what they thought. Well, the last time we had a big clown, you know, IBM bought Red Hat. This time we got Broadcom uh, doing at VMware. I mean, some guys are interested, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Some of these sure. companies are valued at levels that you have to be. There, there's absolutely a lot of opportunity out okay. there right now. But at the same time, Chuck, uh, the gloom is pretty palpable. You're on the board of, of, of BlackRock, which is a great company, Larry Fink. Uh, they're the best. Actually, I think it's one of the greatest boards in the world. When you guys talk, 
Uh, does anybody say, you know what, this is great opportunity and Russia's going to solve Ukraine and China's <laughs> going to join the Council of Nations and this is the moment for the U.S.? Does anybody say stuff like that or is that just too Pollyannish? Well, uh, well I, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about what happens in BlackRock's board meeting, but I think that, uh, you know, the reality is, is that there are a lot of complications in the world right now. I had my board meeting this week and we talked about a lot of that. And I think those are things that are going to, uh, that are going to stay with us. Uh, but, you know, I believe that the world has been so complicated for the last decade, and we've had geopolitical tensions on a constant basis. We've had trade wars, we've had pandemics, we've had social justice reckonings, right. we've had inflation, and I think that customers on the, in the enterprise space, now the consumer right. is a different issue, in the enterprise space, this is just kind of normal for them. Right. And they don't, I don't think they overreact like they might have 15 years ago where you just cut off spending because they realize that six months from now, 12 months from now, the need for the infrastructure or the technology modernization or whatever it is that they need to invest in, they realize that's still going to be there. Now, could they delay a little bit? Yes, but I don't, I don't get the sense there's going to be this extended lull because customers are concerned about their competition spending ahead of them right. and, and creating differentiation. So it's a... I, I think that uh, it's certainly a complicated world, but I think that's just the world we all live well, in. Well, at 13 times earnings with a, with a 3% yield plus, I got to tell you, we're, we're sticking with it with our travel trust. just makes too much sense. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. That's Cisco's chairman and CEO, Chuck Robbins. They have money's back after the break. Coming up, it's been anything but high octane for this cloud player. Is there relief in sight for Okta? Find out next. If there's a group that's being pushed down or is unrepresented, we want to tell their story. The more that we report on these stories, the better understanding people who don't mix with this community regularly will have. Pride is universal. We are better together. A stock cut in half. A sector in turmoil. With rate hikes driving big money consumers away from expensive cloud products, can this company Octavate a strategy to reward investors? While we're out here in San Francisco, candidly surveying the devastation in tech, I noticed that cybersecurity is one of the few areas that people still are very optimistic about. But not every cybersecurity stock is hung in there like a champ. The smaller ones that are not yet profitable have been crushed alongside everything else with negative earnings. Take Okta, the identity and access management software company. The stock plunged 74% from its peak last year to its lows two weeks ago, sinking to $77. Because this market seems to have no mercy for companies that are losing money, even if they've got great revenue growth. But ever since the average's bottom late last month, Okta's made a remarkable comeback. It's back to $102 now, including a more than 2% run today. Some of that's because the company reported clean, beat, and raise quarter last week. And at these levels, the valuation is a lot more reasonable. So is it safe to circle back to this one? Let's take a closer look with Todd McKinnon. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Okta to learn more about where his company's headed. Todd, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you in person. Yeah, it's great to be here. I, lo- I, love, I love being on the set back in person. It's great. It's great. Well, look, uh, there's a great conundrum that I have. You had a top-line beat. Your sales are up 65%. Uh, and I look at that and I think, what more can people want from you? It was a solid start to the year. We're happy with the results. And what we see out there in the market, there's lots of turmoil and talk about macro concern and fears about recession. What we see in the market is the fundamentals driving our business that have been consistent for many, many years. Companies need to do more with technology. 
They need to get the right technologies and the right platforms to their employees. They need to enable them to work remotely wherever they want to work in this new hybrid work environment. And they want to build new products and services, digital products and services, websites, mobile apps, to drive revenue, create new customers, and make sure that they keep their own products and company differentiated from upstart competitors. And at the center of all that is identity. And we're the leading independent neutral identity platform that makes that all possible. So we're in a good spot. Okay, so Todd, work from home means still one more way to borrow within the organization. Uh, How is it possible that so many people let people work from home with sensitive data? Well, the key to this is something the industry calls zero trust. It basically means in the old world, when everyone was in the office and all of your applications and platforms were in your own data center, you trusted the perimeters of your network. You trusted the office. You trusted the data center perimeter. Now in this new world, don't trust anything. Make sure every interaction, every login, every request is checked based on who the person is, that they can access the resources they're trying to access, and that it's continuously checked. And that will enable you to operate in this flexible world where you can work from anywhere but still have rock-solid security. Security and identity is at the center of that. You have to check who the person is. That's where it has to start. And has that acquisition that you made that you introduced us to uh, further along this process? Well, Auth0, the acquisition we closed early last year, helps us on the other part of our business. Our business has two major parts. One is workforce identity, which is about securely logging in employees, remote work, and then customer identity, which is about helping our customers, customers, log into their websites and their mobile apps. So JetBlue.com, when you fly on JetBlue, you log into that website using Okta, and we help them make that experience very easy, very low friction, and highly secure. Now, uh, something happened that was incredible, and I told people, listen, don't bet against Todd. You yourself were hacked, but it was a a hack that, frankly, was very hard to understand. Uh, But I know that people got in. Uh, You were very forthcoming. You you just said it the instant that you discovered it. A lot of people said you would lose customers. This was the strongest customer retention that I've seen you have and the greatest new customers. So it's obvious that whatever anybody thought, your loss of trust didn't exist. You checked with 400 customers immediately. So tell us what it was like to, to hear the news, break the news, and then talk to clients and, yet, and win over even more clients. Well, every, every company is becoming a technology company, and we're all under attack by hackers. There's so much money to be gained. There's so much potential damage they can do. They're out there trying to attack all of us, and they try to attack Okta. What happened with Okta back in March is that we, we use a company for support. We have contract support engineers, and they broke into this company. And they basically, in a digital sense, were able to sit over the shoulder of a couple of the support reps and watch what they were doing, and watch as those support reps were interacting and supporting Okta's customer. And they could even, beyond just being over the shoulder, they could kind of, metaphorically speaking, reach up and you know, hit the keyboard on behalf of this support engineer. So it was, it, it, Okta made a mistake. We allowed our product to be supported from an insecure environment. And that was really the big learning. And the bigger picture here is that customers, identity is so critical, it's a part of the critical infrastructure of our customers. Anytime there's any kind of hack, whether it's to a third party or what, any kind of talk of a breach, there's a lot of concerns in the, in the customer base because this is about trust. So the first thing we did is we had these conversations. We talked to over 1,000 customers face-to-face over, over video and had these conversations. I personally talked to over 400 and got a ton of feedback about what we could do better, how we could make sure that our support environment was not insecure, to make sure that we communicate better, to make sure that we reinstill this trust. And at the end of the day, I think we've been able to do that. Well, since then, uh, you've won over, and let me see, what would be, I think, the best trust for it? Shipping? 
a major pharmaceutical company, one of the top yeah. 50 companies in the country, and a huge number of federal business. So obviously, whatever you did, people understood, because those would be accounts that I think would not go with you if they felt that this was a substantive situation that was your fault. Well, I think that they, they want someone they can trust, and they want right. someone that will help them provide this foundational platform for their, to move their businesses forward. And I would hate to say this is positive, but if there is something positive that comes out of this, they get to see how a company acts under pressure and, and how, how we have their back when, when times are tough. And I think we showed that. To, well, one to the last team. question. Uh, you, your opportunity is so big that I actually understand why profitability isn't your number one concern yet. But yet you've also said you've got to make it a concern. Is that the stock market that's proving that you have to do that? Well, we, we want to, well, first of all, we want to help our customers. Right. We want to help them, and we want to enable them to adopt any technology. And as you mentioned, that opportunity is very broad and very horizontal. So we have to invest to grow. We're committed to making this a $4 billion a year company by fiscal year, fiscal year 26. So that's, that's coming up quickly. So we have to invest to grow to that scale. Right. And we've always done it with a, with a balance of efficiency. Mm-hmm. We've always made sure that our, that our growth rate and our, and our cash flow generation was balanced toward that goal. Right. So we think we're drawing the right balance to capture this market opportunity. And I think over time, you're going to see a very uh, highly scaled, profitable company that's going to help customers and capitalize on this big market opportunity. Well, you know, I agree. Uh, I, I thought it was such an unbelievable opportunity. We talked about it on the show saying that, look, I mean, this is what you've been looking for as a company that, that had something that went wrong and actually gain more business, but it does have so much opportunity. You really do have to balance it, but you're balancing it, I think, in a very smart, consistent way. I want to thank Todd McKinnon, co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Okta, which we have backed the whole way since it came public. Everybody's back here for the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? Let's start with Brad in Texas. Brad. Hey, Kramer. I bought Energy at $37 as an earnings play. I'm looking at the chart, and with everything going on with natural gas, the weather, and the increase of energy prices in Texas, what do you think about Energy at these levels? I still like it. I am a buyer of Energy. It's one of our absolute favorites. And you go to Craig in Kentucky. Craig. Bluegrass booyah to you, Jim. Excellent kind of uh, booyah, frankly. What's going on? Well, I want to give you two things. One, one for uh, doing such a great job of uh, teaching all of us home gamers about uh, your experience on investing and so forth and making Thank it so you. enjoyable and, and uh, entertaining. And I'd also like to give you a uh, – somebody used to live near Churchill Downs. Thank you for playing Call to the Post at the uh, beginning of the lightning round. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Too much fun. Too much fun. What's going on? How can I help? Well, I've got a question for you about Science Applications International, SAIC. Excellent consulting company. One I've always liked. The stock has had a very big move. Maybe I'd wait a little for it. Uh, maybe go down a little bit before I get involved, but I think it's a very good company. We need to thank you for those kind comments. How about George in Texas? George! Captain Kramer, thanks for skippering the SS Kramerica through the iceberg jungle that is the street. Hi, hi, champ. What's up? Uh, I just wanted to send a quick shout-out to my dad in Mount Vernon, Washington. He loves your show, never misses it. 
Wanted oh. to know if you think the dividend is safe, this 13-bagger, 13% in Annaly Capital Management, simple NLY. I think the dividend is safe, but I think that the capital appreciation will be nil, so I'm not going to recommend that stock. But thank you to you and to your father. Those are very kind comments. Now we got to go to Russell in Nevada. Russell! Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Chill man in the house. What's happening? Well, I want your thoughts on uh, stock ticker SRAD. I do not know that company. I regret to say that I do not know SRAD. I'd like to go to Dylan in Massachusetts. Dylan! Dylan? Dylan, can you, um, you know what? I'm on the fence here. I've got Dylan. You know what? I'm going to go to Dylan in somewhere. Dylan. Massachusetts. Dylan. David, Illinois. David, Illinois. Dave, my old friend Dave. What's up? Dr. Kramer, welcome back to One Market. Hope you're having fun. I love it. Jim, it's been a while since you've spoken at length about solar solutions provider Enphase Energy. Indeed. In their last two reported quarters, Enphase beat both revenue and earnings. Although not cheap at 65 times forward P.E., this $28 billion company makes money and is up some 30% in one month. True, but Dave, I've got to tell you, you, you correctly hit the fact it is too expensive. And it's, my, and it's also a football stock goes up and down and up and down. Dave, it's not for you and me. We've got better stocks, uh, many better stocks in the fire. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is digitize or die a concept in trouble itself? Kramer scopes out the real-world impact of a global downturn next. undercurrent out here in Silicon Valley. And you know what? It's really starting to bother me. I'm talking about the idea that digitization is inexorable, and any business that doesn't get with the program will be left behind. Now, that undercurrent isn't wrong. Of course, companies have to digitize. Of course, the ones that don't digitize will be left behind. But the implication might be wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean you can't make a ton of money by helping other businesses go digital. But what if the economy gets so weak that there are so few new businesses being created that demand drops off? What if those companies run out of money to digitize? What if they run out of money, period? What if the IPO market remains closed, making it much more difficult for newer enterprises to raise capital? Yeah, digitization might be inexorable, but these powerful long-term themes can go into hibernation when the economy turns ugly. Back in the 90s, when I started the Street.com, a business news website, there were a tremendous number of facilitators who give you everything you needed to develop a killer website and get the scale to be a major enterprise, including rudimentary security. These service companies came public with ease, and their stocks soared to heights that I couldn't believe at the time. Many of their clients couldn't expand without them. It felt like there were four or five potential new clients for these guys 
coming public every single week. We were in the dot-com era, so naturally it was a great time to be in the Internet business. Then the IPO market just collapsed. The dot-com stopped being able to raise money, so the dot-com facilitators collapsed with them. Many of these all-powerful service companies disappeared overnight. Now, this time isn't quite the same as the dot-com crash. The CEOs I've interviewed so far are grizzled veterans who've seen it all. they got a lot of capital in the bank. They're not going to come on our air and wring their hands about how the potential clients might be struggling to stay in business. Their job is to be as great as possible and aid as many good customers as they can. And they are very good at their jobs, everyone we've seen. But the fact is, if the economy goes into a real recession, I mean a big stagflation tailspin, the pool of potential clients will indeed shrink. The digitizers can't make as much money if their customers are strapped for cash or aren't even a glint of an eye. Granted, their stocks have already been bludgeoned, but I think that's largely because they were pushed too high last year by eager buyers who, uh, let's just say, knew nothing about the underlying enterprises, at least often didn't. Snowflake didn't go to $400 because big-time money managers had so much faith in CEO Frank Slootman that they were willing to pay 100 times sales for the stock. Sales, not earnings. Snowflake became momentum stock that younger investors bought simply because they thought it would keep going higher. Did they even know this company was in the data management business? Not quite sure. By late last month, the stock had fallen to the 120s, just a few bucks above its IPO price of 120, where it reflected a lot more negativity in the momentum chasers. Well, they got blown out. But credit to Snowflake's management. On the conference call a week and a half ago, the CFO mentioned that things could get rocky because of a slowing global economy. Of course, some of the brokers' houses immediately penned research that questioned whether these guys were simply trying to mask their own weakness. I think they were just being honest, but no good deed goes unpunished. Listen, I'm not trying to scare you away from the digitization stocks, which have already been crushed. I'm just saying that, as Snowflake implied, there are real consequences from a recession and a frozen IPO market. One of these consequences is that digitization industry could face serious shortfalls because there won't be enough new clients. Many of the existing ones won't have enough money. And there are too many competitors in this space fighting perhaps over a shrinking pie. In short, you can't justify owning these unless you believe the Fed will quickly beat inflation without needing to do much more to damage the economy. Uh, You know, I think that's a real possibility. But I wouldn't want to bank on it by owning too many enterprise service companies. I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.